It's a bitch hunt. 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 So I'm, I'm pretty stoked for Artemis Fowl. But watching that trailer made me realize that, like, it really is 15 years too late. Well, for one thing, Halle Berry sounded terrible. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect to her, but she sounds like she's aged about 40 years in the last 15 years, ever since she was going to be the star of that movie. But, I mean, good for her for still being in the game and everything. I just i am not sure how well that's going to work. Yeah, the movie industry has always had a problem with you know older actresses, and I just didn't think it would happen this quickly to Halle Berry. I mean, she looks great, but she must be smoking like four packs a day. So I know you're joking right now, but this makes me feel pretty shitty because when I was coming up with my movie idea, I wanted the main character to be Halle Berry, and then I was like, wait a minute, maybe. <laughs> Maybe I should pick someone slightly younger, and I did. Uh, I don't think that you should. You shouldn't let age define who your characters are going to be. And do you mean that you're going to have Halle Berry play the main character in your movie, yeah. or you're going to yeah. actually have her as the character? No, she was going to be the actress portraying the main character. Okay, so not like an Ocean's Twelve Julia Roberts thing. No. Because that's bullshit and yeah, garbage. That was, that was an experience and experiment that never should have happened. Listen, <laughs> it's Hollywood's fault that they don't hire, you know... Us? Elder women. Oh, it's yeah, not our that fault. Too. That too. Yeah. Well, since I already revealed a smidge of my idea, I could start out. I could pitch mine first. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. <clears throat> so... Theme today is slasher, and um, got that. Will I got that? Yeah, I'll start you... thinking about my idea <laughs> now. Um, so the three of us know and love the movie Mission Impossible Two. Right. Uh, it's it's we very do. near and dear to our hearts. And how would the two of you define the action in Mission Impossible Two? If it came down to one specific move. That Tom Cruise does, what would it be? Flipping a fucking gun up into the air from the sand with his feet. I was going to say anything uh, that involved Sandy Newton being on screen, but come to think of it, <laughs> she wasn't on screen during that moment, which was the defining moment of the film. So I'd have to go with Will's. Yeah, well, that's it, not quite what I was looking for. Were you looking for you... it being sort of martial arts inflected? Or yeah, were you I looking hope, for well, it to be more like I hope motorcycle? Percy would say his kicking, and he does kick that gun. Oh, yeah. So that's part of it, but he kicks a shitload in that movie. And I was thinking, you know, what if we had an older Tom Cruise now who played a villain? Right. And the only thing he could do was kick. So I started from that moment and then I worked backwards to try to figure out why that would be the case, that he's a slasher villain who can only kick people. Wow. And I, I came to, to this. So he is a former lion tamer who got okay. his arms ripped off in the ring. Ooh. Okay. And uh, now he blames animal captivity and just the spectacle of it for his mutilation. Um, 
So, so he hates all zoos, is what he, you're saying. He does, and in turn, he's sort of trained to become a killer and built up to this this moment of chaos that he wants to inflict. Uh, he goes to a zoo, okay, preferably an indoor zoo, like the Minnesota Zoo, where a big portion of it's indoors. Right, we're not thinking um, like the Como Zoo or any kind of safari park no, style thing. He, he he gets in there, right? Um, picks off a few members of the staff and security. And kicks then off, you mean? Kicks off, yeah. And I, part of his gimmick, too, is that because he has this lion background, he sort of fixed these claw-like things onto his feet. <laughs> so <laughs> he kicks people, but like leaves these big claw gashes in them. So... Um, in a lot of ways, he's acting a lot like kind of a bird of prey. You know, they don't have opposable thumbs, but they have massive talons on their feet that do most of the damage. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I can get. He's talented. Um. Talented. And then he locks down the zoo. Like everyone who's in there is now trapped inside. He shuts down all the exits. Locks it down. And starts releasing the most dangerous animals in the zoo. Ooh. Ah. All the while, he's still stalking people. But because I work backwards, now I'm at this point where, you know, usually the, the stalker isn't the main focus. Right. And the focus is on your, your hero, right. who is the head zookeeper in this case, a Kerry Washington type. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> no, okay. You specifically want Kerry Washington, or I think I, I mean, do I want Kerry hate... Washington, but I don't know if she would if she would bite. She's got that lucrative uh, TV money coming in, right? No, I mean I think I think we all really have to dream big. I, I'll say that I definitely dreamed big with my my uh, lead. I, I won't get too much into it, but my lead, leading character. I think you dream big. You write the role for somebody. And if that doesn't work out, you know, that's a bridge that you cross when you get to it. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Go on. No, so it's, it's just a, Washington. another day at the zoo for Carrie Washington's character. <laughs> you know, she's doing her head zookeeper business, whatever that may be. I don't really know. Like feeding some penguins or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine and, that's most of it. But then when this chaos breaks out, the animals are released and whatnot. Um, she needs to use her zookeeper smarts to save as many zoogoers as she can. Ooh. So she's like using what she knows about the animals to, uh. to outsmart them, get them back in captivity. All the while finding clues that lead her to Tom Cruise, kicker villain. Right. So... so- Animals are stalking people. Tom Cruise is still stalking people. And and Kerry Washington is saving the day. That's a lot of storylines coming together. It is, and I'm, I'm really interested if you have an ending in mind. Um, but I like, I like the beginning, and I like what you have so far. Obviously, there'd have to be some kind of climactic like kickoff or something at the very end. Yeah. And uh, 
this is where it gets dangerous because you don't want to uh, draw any parallels to the Harambe situation because that would just very true. That would get people mad. Very so true. I, I feel like Lest there are only forget. so many moments that I can have with animals. Okay, that could be in the climax. So I think it has to be like a a showdown between Kerry Washington and Tom Cruise, and maybe she's trained like she has this lion friend. Right. And she gets the lion to finish the job. Okay. Ah. I was wondering if you're kind of going that direction. Um, I like what you've come up with, but I, I wonder if they could maybe both have gotten kind of a team of animals together that kind of embody <laughs> good and evil. Uh, and maybe just oh, have man. the animals. So then you've got a battle sequence at the end, like a, like an epic army clashing situation. Right. And now imagine like the the largest like I'm I'm thinking right now about like the tiger enclosure at the Minnesota Zoo, some kind of open area that you know does a decent job of simulating what an actual uh, wild environment would look like. And I'm just picturing two armies of animals going at it. And I mean, obviously, Carrie and Tom would have to do a lot of the the heavy lifting in the final scene just because of how difficult it would be to train animals to fight each other. Yeah, um, Tom Tom is incapable of heavy lifting with his <laughs> arms. <so. laughs> I feel like, nice. depending on how long this accident, how long ago this accident happened, he'd probably be pretty dexterous with his toes. That's true. <laughs> Legs are hugely stronger than hands, anyway. No, but that would uh, that would throw a wrinkle into it. That would throw a wrinkle into it. So, if if you were to say put some animals on Tom's team, on the side of evil, or maybe just embodying his disability. Yeah, he could get like really arm heavy animals, like monkeys and gorillas and stuff. Oh, arm. So, so to kind of complement him rather than yeah. See, I was thinking more like, you know, animals that would be similar to him. So like, like a you know, fucking you, ostrich. You get an, exactly. You get an ostrich. <laughs> you get some birds of prey. Uh, a, fart, a kangaroo. A snake, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like, I, I do like the idea. A rabbit. <laughs> having animals uh, make up for what he lacks. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you want to go this direction too, but you could also have like at some point... Uh, Carrie Washington losing the use of her legs so that she was only <laughs> able to use her arms. Which I, like that a lot. I was actually thinking something along those lines too. So then you got arms versus legs in the end. <laughs> That's really what the battle is about, arms and legs. <laughs> and I think the animal kingdom is a perfect way to explore that. <laughs> and then like the final like zinger is like she's like opposable thumbs, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we we rule the the animal kingdom yeah maybe even during the course of the fight the uh carrie and tom realize that they have more in common because they're smart humans and they have to end up banding together despite their differences to destroy the animals that have turned against them they tried to train them but it was foolish <laughs> do we really want to make this an anti-animal movie <laughs> i don't know man. it's your movie i'm just throwing things out there <laughs> Fuck animals, the movie. <laughs> Why zoos are uh, justified. Spe- speaking of that, though, help me spitball some titles. Okay. I was thinking maybe the animal inside. 
<laughs> that's, that's pretty that's, good. It's good. It has a, a couple of sexual undertones, but that's okay. Well, there will be a lot of sexual tension between Tom and Carrie. Oh, okay. Well, as as it should be. Uh, I my first thought was kicking and screaming, but uh, I don't know if Hollywood's there are already ready for another... at least two movies called Kicking and Screaming that I yeah. know of. Yeah, that's that was my second thought after after my first thought. But um, why not have a third? Kicking and screaming, that's the best of the three, you know? I, I have no response to that because there is no reason not to do that. <laughs> Especially with how successful that brand has been and how Hollywood loves to go back to the well. You could even get like a, who is in those? Uh, Will Ferrell? Is he in one of those? You could have a cameo. Yeah. yeah. Could be like a, a peanut seller at the zoo. How about... We bought a zoo too. We bought a zoo. <laughs> we fought a zoo. <laughs> oh. I like that. Yeah, I think I think those would all work. Maybe you just have like a bunch of different subtitles. So the main one would be whatever. What was your your original one, Luke? The animal inside. The man. We Luke. bought a zoo too. Kicking and screaming. Kicking and screaming. <laughs> That way all our bases are covered. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm satisfied. I think this is now a tight, tight script. I agree. I think it's a it's a surefire winner. Unship it. Ship so it. Tight. That's that's how, that's what that term means, right? Yeah, that's gonna be our catchphrase now. When we come to uh, the end of a, a a pitch. Ship it. All right, who's pitch going it, next maybe? here? I'd pitch it. Who's pitch who's, it? Who's pitching I like next? I I am ready to pitch. Uh, I don't know if you want to spitball, Will, but... How about I spitball? Because no one remembers the middle one anyway, so... Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, I think the, the element to me, I, the cornerstone of any good slasher is the group, you know? Sure. There needs to be a disparate group of people with various fraught relationships, maybe some sexual tension. Sure. And I thought, what could I do with that? What's like a what's what's a group that's not been done before? And I thought maybe a book group would be a good one. Oh. So there's a group of people meeting for a book group. As you and do. I thought I thought the, like the book a, a is good, important here. Have you figured out the book yet? Well this is this is my thought is as a as a bit of sort of tragic irony, they're reading a book like a, a sort of a post apocalyptic book. Okay. And all the characters in the book die at the end, and and they have like varying uh, sort of feelings about this. You know, there's one guy thinks it's all just sort of like a metaphor for you know the 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 futility of the human experience, and one person is like. They should have just been better at surviving. They're just a bunch of, you know, right. weaklings. Right. And, you know, and then and then another character is like, well, uh, this is, you know, it's understandable the decisions they made, but it ended up ultimately leaving, leading to their demise, you know? Mm-hmm. And then enter entereth the slasher. This is this is the element that I still have not really figured out yet. Is okay. how do I make a very interesting slasher? I thought that 
basically he could just kill the shit out of people, you know, in in pretty generic slasher Who? style. Okay. Okay. And he being or or she, I don't know. <laughs> or, or, or she being, I mean, what I'm, I'm saying, who who is the slasher? The a thing is, we don't group? actually know. I I think okay. that it's it's important to kind of leave this this person an enigma for right. for most of the most of the slasher movie. I like slashers where you know you're trying to figure out who is doing the slashing and yeah. and what weaknesses can be exploited. So you know? wait, wait, is it a whodunit? among like the members of the book club like are they dying in the same way as the characters in the book well so yeah that's that's Ooh. what i was thinking is that there that there'll be like these little breadcrumbs being left after each killing you know are you talking I, obviously like the allegory guy is gonna die first you know okay the the, the kind of like really overwrought pretentious guy is right. gonna like be immediately the first person to die and then you know but then there there are there are just these kind of breadcrumbs of they they bear uncanny resemblance to the the book they've just read and this is where i think we could do also some kind of cool like embedded storytelling where maybe there's flashbacks to the actual book so you have like a a mini story going on throughout the the main story that's like what the characters in this book are doing you know and how that parallels what the characters in the slasher are doing sure sure i'm saying i've got the concept but i don't really have the specifics down really Okay, well, well, let me throw this at you. Would you like to use a book that already exists and uh, no, frame it around I, I that, don't or think do you think so. that you'd create? I think I want to do. Story? I mean, I think that um, some sort of. I mean, the most recent post-apocalyptic book that I've read is The Road, and The right. Road is like a little, maybe a little too depressing for this concept, but I think it would be <laughs> in that sort of vein of like characters who are kind of i don't know if you've read McCarthy-esque. it mccarthy-esque oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah yeah it's very bleak and, and characters hell. have like a lot of devotion to one another and which kind of leads to sacrifices being made but you know they're also resourceful i i really like the idea of the post-apocalyptic genre being a part of it um be that as just as being the the kind of the frame of the story in that that's the novel that they're reading. But I also think that it would be fascinating to uh, set the whole thing in a post-apocalyptic setting. Uh, So looking at what the dynamics of a a post-apocalyptic book group group. would be, what would that look like? (laughs) How would that add to the challenges of coming together and agreeing on whether you like a book. There's a lot there. I feel like it would be hard to set a slasher film in a post-apocalyptic world, though, because that is what you would expect. Like, you, yeah, you expect but, killings. And that I mean, makes I, it inherently less scary when that, they happen. That's a good point and one that I had not thought about at all. I, no, I would actually... I, I respect respectfully disagree. I think that, like, slasher... Post-apocalyptic is a setting, whereas slasher is a genre, you know? So th- it's not like it's not like they need emulsifying or anything, you know? Like, they're, they're two separate things that, yeah, that can it's go a, great it's together. Yeah, it's a genre, but it hinges on the fact that you're turning an environment that feels safe already into one that is not safe. Yeah. I don't know about that. I think it's a, more about just picking people off one by one. I mean, maybe there is, I, I think there the, needs to be, there can be, a, I mean, it, it, there is a, a large breadth of, uh, 
different kinds of slasher movies. I agree that some of most of the most effective ones are the ones where a safe environment is being turned into something, you know, like anything that's set in say a school or, you know, some other place that's generally seen as being a safe place, kind of turning that on his head makes it more interesting, but it I don't also think just that it's heightens necess- the fear not- of it. It does. It does. But I don't think it would be completely impossible. That's that's all I'm saying. I do agree that it would it would be harder to pull off, probably, but not impossible. I think I think I probably am going to stick with my original idea, Jacob. But thank you very much for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm deeply hurt, but I. It was good. No, I think it's a good creative uh, exercise to sort of just invert everything that the other person just said, you know. And I will be doing that with your idea coming up. Okay. <laughs> Well, my idea is absolutely airtight, so good luck. Just saying. All right, we're gonna we're gonna ship it. Oh, one more thing the 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 final showdown is literally the main character just beating the slasher to death with the book with a copy <laughs> yes. of the book. I was gonna hope that you brought that up. My favorite scene in the Born Ultimatum is when he's like punching that guy in the throat with a book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> book violence is super super badass. It yes. is. It's yeah. It's Super still satisfying. brutal. It's still violent. Still has that like physical impact that you're looking for, but it you feel slightly more scholarly while watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you read a book and got to see violence at the same time. The best of both worlds. So what you're saying is that in the bombed out shell of what used to be a library, they're going to be <laughs> beating each other over the head with books. Okay. But wait, wait, wait. But real quick, though. Will the villain be one of the book club members in actuality, or is that just not known yet? So I was going to say that it was someone who was like not invited to the book club, but that's like very close to the plot of Game Night, which I would highly, highly recommend if you haven't seen. No, that's seen. a great film. Yeah, I, I just saw that, actually, and I was a big fan. I saw that. Uh, three times in theaters because that's the kind of person I am. Um, <laughs> Jesse Plemons is so good. Yes. Jesse yeah, Plemons is going to great. be in this movie too. Okay, as the killer, he might he might be the killer. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. He you, he's just so versatile, man. You can use him. He might just be all the characters. It might be a <laughs> one man Jesse Plemons show. Or it could Jesse Plemons may replace Tom Cruise in my film as well. <laughs> What about Carrie Washington? She's expendable, right? Is this really just like a Jesse Plemons fan cast? Uh, I think it might be. All right, let's let's Jesse Clemens it. All right, you ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready for yours. Okay. Is yours just a, a Jesse Clemens documentary? Yeah, I'm changing it up just slightly because I don't want to. I don't want to be too redundant. No. Um. So a thought that I had earlier today, right before I came up with this idea is that there are so many beloved books and especially beloved children's books that are being turned into movies um, over the recent years. And I guess that's kind of always been the case, but there's one very successful franchise um, that to my knowledge has never been touched uh, when it comes to a movie adaptation. And Hardy that, boys. Uh, no, that would have been better. Um <laughs> <laughs> I went with uh, I went with Where's Waldo. Oh, oh shit! Uh, Dude, so, a creepy Waldo would be mint, right? Give me all your money, Jacob. Okay. I'm so here for this. Okay, 
Okay, so imagine in your mind's eye. We are opening on a tropical beach setting. Um, of course, a long-distance shot of Waldo laid out on a beach chair. Uh, he's but, surrounded by but people. But will there be tons of other people on the beach as of well? Of course, yes. Oh, of course. <laughs> surrounded by people, you know, people in swimsuits, people lounging, somebody playing with a beach ball, a dog who's like digging a hole or something um, that you can barely make out because it's so <laughs> tiny. Uh, so Waldo is on this beach chair, you know, in his classic red and white shirt. He's got his winter hat. He's got his jeans. He's got his walking stick. Um, there's some kind of like light happy music playing over it um and the film is going to start off as kind of a i said a light travel documentary style romp you know um so after a little while of uh soaking up the sun waldo checks his watch uh and gets up to move on uh by the way uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be playing Waldo in this. Oh man, okay. that is okay. too good. I think he has the the body type and the uh, unspoken charisma for it. Um, so we follow Waldo as he uh, as he you know he leaves the beach. He's exploring the town and surrounding areas. Every time he moves to a new location, there's going to be a new long distance shot. Then slowly zooms into Waldo. Oh, that's um, some serious cin- cinematography right there. Just, just hold on to your pants, man. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, this is, this is gonna get, <laughs> this is gonna get cinematic. Um, so yeah, Waldo is just strolling around, taking in the sights, um, you know, talking to people, but we, we never hear him speak. You know, you can tell that he's talking to people, but he's just kind of this mute protagonist that, that we're following along as this light, bouncy, happy music is playing. Um, so he has with him. Uh, some kind of a briefcase or like a bag or something. Occasionally he reaches into it to pull out uh, like a map or something. We don't really get a good look at what he's looking at, but um, we, the viewers, are thinking, you know, this is a guy who goes all over the place. He probably has like maps and stuff to plan his adventures with, right? So uh, we're seeing Waldo exploring each new scene. He's, you know, interacting with other characters in these vignettes from time to time. Uh, but again, we're never actually hearing him speak or, you know, we never get a sense of what, what he's talking to other people about. Uh, cause it, you know, there's all this crowd noise, hustle and bustle and happy music. Yeah. Um, so this is, you know, this continues going on for as long as you can stand it. Um, it's going about his daily <laughs> life, <laughs> visiting <Sorry>. various <laughs> interesting spots, you know, having meals, finding his way to a hotel, uh, finding his way to other busy places to to plan these shots in uh airports train stations to move on i actually i probably could stand this for a solid like half an hour it would get me it would get my guard way down though and make me very very relaxed that is exactly what i was hoping to happen and the next thing that i had written down is that this was going to continue for 30 minutes or so so you absolutely (laughs) you just you just validated everything for me uh 30 minutes or so nothing but beautiful landscapes we got serene music we got waldo you know we're following on his travels uh the viewer is is very relaxed at this point um and then we switch to uh, you know another kind of landscape shot that seems to be as similar to all the others um and 
uh, on the surface, this scene doesn't look any, you know, it doesn't look substantially different from any of the other ones. Um, so we're starting with this zoomed out shot, you know, in classic Where's Waldo style. We start zooming in. Uh, we, as clever audience members, spot the red and white striped shirt and jeans. Uh, but we realize that this time, Waldo is splayed on the ground, surrounded by a pool of blood. Oh! And a, uh, a crowd of horrified onlookers. So as, as the slow zoom continues, we arrive at the close-up at the same time as, as the police get there. And they turn the head of the victim and realize it's not Waldo. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay, so bear with Ooh. me here. So at this point, the tone... Uh, can, I, can I interrupt? Just oh, absolutely. To, I've been going I, I thought this was going to be a feature-length version of one of those, like... Something pops up in the screen and scares you. <laughs> uh, just, just the most like set up jump scare. <laughs> uh, that I think that's exactly what the trailer should be. Actually, <laughs> now that I come to think of it, the trailer should be just like this super serene, like basically embodiment of the first thirty minutes of the movie, and at the very end, there's a horrifying mutilated face that shows up on screen. Okay. Okay. I love it. Um but so so at this point uh the tone of the of the of this movie it it kind of shifts but also doesn't shift. So we're shot in the same style um again with these long distance shots way zoomed out and then slowly zooming into to Waldo who's the you know the thing to find on the screen. Um but now each one of these long distance shots uh, slowly zooms in to reveal Waldo is stalking a new victim before brutally murdering them. Oh um, shit! Oh my god! <clears throat> and uh, all of these, so all of these murder murders are happening in in broad daylight, which uh, you know kind of subverts the idea of every horror movie that bad things only happen at night. Um, so they're happening in broad daylight and in secluded areas that are just like, you know, like an alleyway or just like a, a doorway that goes just off of one of these bustling public places that we've seen in the beginning. Um, and it's at this point that there's a subplot that starts up uh, about the cops who arrived on the scene of the crime and who are now investigating uh, and trying to catch Waldo. Um you want to say something, Willie? Uh, I was just going to ask. So at this point, are we still starting every single scene with a a, a zoom in from from a, above? Yes, I've committed to that idea fully. Okay, <laughs> every scene, even the scenes of the cops, <laughs> start of it. So, why was the the murder victim wearing his clothes? Why was he wearing his clothes? Okay, that is a that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> and not one that I have an answer to, but it's provocative. It so, is, and I like it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we're now we're following these investigators. They're you know doing investigator things, pouring over footage um, of all these murders that are being perpetrated by this this uh, this colorfully dressed psychopath who somehow still manages not to be found. Um, and as the movie goes on, officers, you know, there are all these close calls. They begin to close in. Uh, there's all these near misses. They 
arrived for the scene of the crime just a minute too late. Um, you know, right after it, Waldo has done the dirty deed and miraculously escaped again. Um, and so these lead investigators, you know, we were kind of diving into their lives a little bit. Of course, they are family men with, with small children and, and loving wives or husbands. And, uh, but these personal lives start to deteriorate because they can't, they're totally obsessed with Waldo at this point. And, and, you know, all of their mental energy is being expended on that. So one of these investigators starts to go insane, um, separates himself from his family, uh, moves into, you know, a dingy apartment and papers his walls with, with pictures of Waldo's face. Yeah, um, here's Waldo. Where's Waldo? <laughs> so yeah, so is, Waldo, is Waldo his actual name or just like the name that the cops have made for him? Um, I, I would like if they referred to him as Waldo, even though they don't really know who he is. I think that would, I think that would work better even than because there's really no way of establishing that like gracefully establishing that his name is Waldo. If he's not saying anything, so it could be like an acronym code name or something like the, the where are little Debbie Osprey. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Nailed it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, We got to work on that one, but Yes, no, I, I like all those those ideas. Um, so the cops are, are still chasing Codename Waldo, um, who time and again is, is able to barely escape arrests, um, and his crimes start becoming more and more daring. Um, and we feel as as though we're about to come to like some kind of climax. And like maybe the cops are finally gonna find Waldo. Maybe Waldo's finally gonna kill the cops. Um, but the movie, instead of resolving uh, in a in a nice and tidy way, it ends with an extreme close up of somebody we're not sure who. Somebody wearing a red and white striped shirt, a matching hat, and jeans, flipping through a book um, that's full of uh, like CCTV shots of. Uh, both the murder scenes and also the long distance shots from the beginning. So they're, they're leafing through this. Uh, they get to the last page um, and they close the book. And the, the final shot is a close up on the cover with the title Where's Waldo? Oh, I like the idea of like every single scene up until that one zooms in, but that one zooms out onto Waldo, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the more I think about every scene starting in the exact same way, the more I think that that would slowly drive everybody watching into insanity. <laughs> exactly. <But laughs> that's the point, right? That, the thing is, yeah, that we could make that work. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I love the idea very much. I think my my only thing would be, instead of it being Benedict Cumberbatch, you should have Colin Hanks play Waldo. <laughs> Colin Hanks would be a good Waldo. I don't know if he's tall enough, though. I feel like one of Waldo's, I, like, uh, he, he may well be tall. I think he's kind of tall. He's a Hanks, after all. That's that's true. That that Hanks bloodline runs runs deep. One of the yeah, I, I I do, I would be pretty much okay with that casting change. 
Um, okay, but, I, I don't want to shit on your casting choice of Benedict either, because he's a, a worthy actor, but <laughs> have you considered Carrot Top at all? <laughs> <laughs> the only problem I would have, and I mean the only problem I would have with uh, casting Carrot Top, is that he'd be wearing a hat almost all the time. <laughs> so uh, one of his main features, his Carrot Top, would would really be underutilized. But, I mean... This, this very much sets up for a sequel, so maybe in the sequel we could go even grittier and have him without the hat. Yeah, or like his fly could be down and you could see some pubes or something. <laughs> <laughs> or he could just dye white stripes into his hair. <laughs> go for the, the minimalist approach. Also, what do you think of the idea of... Uh, one of the other things I toyed with was at some point, probably not from the very beginning, but at some point, uh, Waldo would start wearing a mask of the Where's Waldo face, which, if you Google it, is pretty terrifying. Like, <laughs> especially as a mask would be a very terrifying thing to see. So I don't, I don't know if I'd want the killer to show their real face or have that mask on. But... I'm kind of leaning Wait towards mask. Yeah. <laughs> it is terrifying, that <laughs> smile. <laughs> that, like, toothless grin. Toothless grin and <laughs> the really unsettlingly long chin. It looks less terrifying if you imagine his nose is actually his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then what the re- what's going on with the rest of him? <laughs> He's just got a massive chin. He's got an even longer chin. <laughs> That's yeah, just a surgery. That's star. just like his body. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jacob, I love everything about this. My only uh, concern yes. is that, like, it, it seems hard to make this scary with the chosen filming technique. And I guess it wouldn't have to be, but see, I would... I agree and I disagree. Um, I think what I was kind of going for was what Will touched on earlier is that you would really lull the audience into a false sense of security and it would just kind of be the serene, uh, you know, all this, these serene kind of nice nature shots starting out, not nature, but you know, these crowd shots starting out. And then that would be juxtapositioned with the, the brutal crimes that were happening in them. So, yeah, I'm not sure if it's if it's necessarily meant to be like traditionally scary as much as just very unsettling. Um, yeah, I mean, un- unsettling works. It it does. There are things that could be done to make it scarier, though, and I think you could that, make it. I mean, it could be like just sort of nightmare fuel, you know, just very very bizarre, creepy. Like it's not like it's not s- scary in the moment, really, but it's just like you can't really unsee it. Right, you know? right. Deeply unsettling. I, I, I can, I can make do with deeply unsettling, but I, I definitely think that there can be some changes made. Like, I don't know how sustainable the every shot being a, a zoom in would be, and maybe at the point when the murders start happening, you would change up the the film style, and you could make it a little scarier that way. But it's a starting point. Yeah, now I'm like now I'm thinking I'm rethinking Colin Hanks here. I, we need someone with like a really strong jaw. I think, like uh, yeah, Jay Leno, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's another thing to think on. I'm gonna Google actors with big chins. Actors with big chins. 
No, because I do. I think that the casting is is really really important. Um, because as I was <laughs> Jay <saying>, Leto. <laughs> Uh, casting is really important because I I wouldn't, at least the way I'm imagining it, there wouldn't be any uh, any dialogue from Waldo. Like there wouldn't Waldo wouldn't speak at all. I think the cops definitely would, but there'd have to be a lot of you know acting without any real lines. Uh, other actors with good chins: Bruce Campbell. Yeah, We've got Aaron Eckhart. Uh. He's he's a little bit old for Waldo, but how do you feel about John Ham? Ooh, John Ham would be John Ham would be a really good Waldo. You yeah. He I the one thing I'm afraid of is that he might be just a little bit too beefy. But he could uh, if he could trim down a little bit. I mean, stripes are really slimming, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> I I hadn't considered that. <laughs> But horizontal stripes, though? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that. Ooh, aren't horizontal? I mean, I wouldn't think. I think they're more slim. They they I'm, no I'm no stylist. Well, in any case, I think we have a, la- a large uh, pool of strong-chinned actors to pull from. But whoever it is, they have to be menacing. And they, yes. have, to be, they have to embody the spirit of somebody who both wants to be found and just... And fundamentally, does not want to be found. <laughs> All right. Well, I think think we can ship it. I think we can ship it. I certainly ship it. All right. Well, Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> it's already it's already been shipped. Well. <laughs> Too Fuck. late. <laughs> I don't. I don't think. Any of the Hemsworths could really fit inside of a sweater. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, uh, thanks for listening to the first episode of the podcast. The podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And let's find Tango. I don't know where Tango is. Okay, scratch that. <laughs> this has been the, the Plotcast. Hey, hey, kids. The podcast episode you just listened to was recorded before we had come up with our website or social media accounts, but lucky for you, we have them now. You can visit our website at pitchhunt.org. You can email us at info at pitchhunt.org. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are pitch underscore hunt. Or you can get in touch with us at Facebook at Pitch Hunt Podcast. Thanks and uh, enjoy the rest of your day.